1: Innovation is a key component for success. Now, forget 2020. It's time to focus on the year ahead and the trends that we should be looking out for to remain relevant and competitive. Now, Daniel Burris is considered one of the world's leading futurists on global trends and disruptive innovation. In the early 80s, he was the first and only technology futurist to accurately identify the 20 technologies that would drive business and economic change for decades. He's also a business strategist. I know I've learned a ton from Dan over the years because I've known him. He's a friend of mine. And I'm talking about the CEO of Burris Research, author and speaker. Daniel, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you're in a much better place down in your place in San Diego than I'm in South Dakota, although I love South Dakota. But you know what? You know, I got snow. You got sun. But there you go. Nonetheless, I won't I won't rub it in. Hey, here's what I want to know. Everything. Everything changes. I mean, everybody's talking about, oh, the new norm. Right. Uh, To me, that's a given. Why are so many people resistant to change? Well, you know, I,
2: people are, get comfortable, and they like—they uh, don't like things to change because then they don't have to change. But uh, one of the things that is really important for us all to understand that happened in 2020 that has not happened in our lifetimes, and that is that everyone on the planet was forced to change. Yeah. Again, businesses don't change till they have to because why? Well, they're run by humans, and humans don't like change either. However when you're forced to change, when you're forced to go digital, it accelerated. I've identified 16 major hard trends that have been accelerated by between five and 10 years in just a matter of months. E-commerce is an obvious one. When you're locked in, you're going to be buying. Uh, But it's far more than that telehealth, telemedicine. I mean, they were doing that. I actually uh, was involved in the uh, first virtual ER a number of years ago, and we could do virtual appointments with doctors before, but you know what? They didn't have to. Now, hey, that's all they're doing, remote work. We could do that a long time ago, but hey, who was doing remote work? Only a few compared to now. So my point is, when you have a dramatic acceleration of technology-driven trends that were already growing at an exponential level, what happens? They've gone Jeffrey, they've gone beyond exponential. And that means the opportunities are there as well as the disruptions. And there was a, a statistic mentioned before we got started here. And that was uh, 80, I think you said, what? 83, 84% of people who were surveyed, executives uh, felt their businesses were ripe for disruption. And yeah. I
1: would say, man, I'm disappointed. It should be yeah. 100%. Yeah. Where's the other 16%? Are they Luddites or what? I mean, that. Then...
2: <laughs> well, so, so the, what I'd like to do is address just a second on the word disruption. We see disruption as negative. Why? Because now we got to do something. We got to manage another crisis. What I would like everyone in C-suite, everyone listening right now to understand is I want you to become a positive disruptor. creating. The transformations that need to happen to elevate your relevancy, because you're either going to be more or less relevant, you're not going to be coasting, you're going to be either the disruptor or the disrupted, but you do have a choice when you learn how to separate the two and what's driving that disruption. So does Jeff Bezos see disruption as negative? Well, no, it's all the people he's disrupting. I want you to be
1: doing that because by the way, if you aren't, someone else is going to do it to you. But there's a lot of opportunities when you're disruptive as well. I mean, if you, if you, you know, jump in there, your first mover advantage, there's a lot of different things. Now there's some bleeding that goes along with that sometimes being the first one in. But if you recognize it and apply some really good processes and, uh, you know, methods or models to it, you can actually come out way ahead. I mean, there's been a lot of great businesses this year or last year in COVID that are doing
2: fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's uh, where I think the methodology that uh, we're going to talk about today that I want to bring in is so important because there is a lot of bleeding when you're a first mover. You don't have to bleed. I would like you on the blade, but you don't have to be the part that bleeds. I'd like you to be on the leading part of the blade, not the bleeding part of the blade. And a way to do that is to understand that, and this leads us to trends and going forward, This is based on 36 years of research, and I think you know I'm on the futures group for the Pentagon and work uh, globally with all these companies. So here's what I'm saying. All trends are either hard trends based on future facts that will happen. They will happen. You can't stop them. The advantage is you can see them before they hit. That's how you turn disruption into an advantage. That's how you can determine how I can be a disruptor with low risk because if I don't do it, someone else is gonna anyway, or I can sit back and be the disrupted, or they're soft trends. And soft trends are not based on future facts, they're based on assumptions that may or may not happen. Now, I'm not saying they won't happen, I'm just saying that the likelihood, it's an assumption, it may or may not. And I like both because a hard trend, I know that disruption, that change is gonna happen, If I know it's going to happen beforehand, I can make disruption and change my competitive advantage with low risk. With a soft trend, you don't like it. Your business is going down. Sales are going down. Guess what? That's soft. You can change it. You can change a soft trend. I like that. So I love both.
1: Well, let me I I want to get into the anticipatory organization and and that methodology, because I think that's where you were hinting at a minute ago. But before we get to that, I want to give everybody like what are the top three trends that are going to define 2021, what should I be looking at? Is it going to be my workplace or, I mean, what is it that I'm going to be looking for?
2: Well, as I mentioned, uh, there's over 16. I've got a list of 25 technology-driven hard trends that uh, you can get on my burris.com website if you'd like. And I just wrote an article that you don't have to pay for. You can get there if you want as well, where I'm talking about the 16 that have been dramatically accelerated. what they're doing is creating unprecedented opportunity to transform, not just change your processes or your products, your services. Let's give you an example. Let's talk about, well, you mentioned it, something I talked to you before, X as a service. Yeah, X is, I love this. I I define as X because yeah, when when I told you about this number of years ago, I was mentioning to you that I was giving a speech in Beijing to 14,000 people, and I coined a new phrase, and that is X, meaning everything as a service. Anything can be a service. And the opportunity to redefine and reinvent, as you know, because you've done it yourself, Jeffrey, is amazingly powerful. HR, could that be a service? Yeah. do you have an HR department? Absolutely. Service. How about uh, payments? How about banking? Anything could be a service. Anything. So if I want to disrupt, I have to ask myself, what isn't a virtual service right now? Because if it can be, it will be. Why don't I do it? Look in your industry that you're already in, that you're already familiar with, and ask yourself, how can I redefine and reinvent it? using anything and be a service innovation can be a service pick something make it a service and that's just one
1: yeah well i want to add to that because where i had the breakthrough and it was a real breakthrough we were sitting in the room you were sitting next to me and i was kind of lamenting oh, look i got all this high growth i'm doing all this great stuff but where am i going to get the cash to go out and add this or add this or add this where i saw them as great things and then you said jeff why do you have to do it yourself? X is a service. And I, that's what I said, what the hell are you talking about? And then you, you, you gave me that and I went, oh, my gosh, I can use other people's money. I can use other ways to be able to do it. It was a great breakthrough. What about the office? I'm going to ask you about the office trends. And, you know, I got an office building. I got I, I own the IBM office building in South Dakota. I got my team going into the office, not going to the office. What should I be doing? What should I be thinking about how I should reposition myself for the next year?
2: Well, thanks, because I've had a lot of CEOs that I work with asking me the same question who are like you, have really a lot of offices. You know, the office, uh, first of all, are we going to be going back? And the answer is in a different way, because instead of it being a place to house employees, it's going to be a place to maximize innovation, productivity, and the things that humans do best when they're together. Otherwise, why are we together? We know how to work remote right now. So one of the key principles that I teach in my books and in my learning system, the anticipatory leader and anticipatory organization, is what I call the both-and principle, instead of the either-or. Either-or says, "Well, we're all virtual, or we're all back in the office." Forget that. We're in the office and we're virtual. But when we're in the office. What are we doing to enhance collaboration, communication and the things that we do best when we are physically together? And if we aren't maximizing that, why are we? By the way, there's a huge opportunity then to ask yourself, so what does that office look like to maximize it? By the way, there's gonna be billions made on redefining what we do when we go in the office and what do we need in there to enhance those kinds of things. It's gonna be huge. And by the way, that's just one little opportunity. So, are we going back in the office?
1: Yeah, but if you're going back to do what you used to do, it will fail. So, you wrote a book called The Anticipatory Organization, and I absolutely loved it. I live it. So, in that book, you described a proven method to tell which trends will materialize and which ones won't. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that and elaborate?
2: Yeah, let me give you a few uh, good examples. So with, again, I already mentioned, all trends are either hard trends or soft trends. You can put them all in there. So instead of Dan Burris saying, I'm the only guy with the good trends, what I'm saying is, is, take any trend, and once you put it in one of those two categories, you have a way to go forward, number one. Number two, a trend by itself is boring. You heard me say that, until you attach an opportunity to it. So I don't want anyone in here ever again in this virtual room, this giant, or listening to this to ever say, here's a trend. I want, is it a hard trend based on a future factor? Or is it a soft trend? And what's the opportunity? So it can burst into actionable light. So to help with that, there are three categories of hard trends. Uh, one is demographics. So we've got 78 million baby boomers. No, we've got 68. 10 million have already passed away. They're on a different end of this. got to pay attention to the numbers. They're changing. Uh, And when we look at Gen X and Gen Y, we think they're frozen like that forever. But you know what? They're getting older too, and their needs will change as they get older. Someday they will be retiring and thinking different about their lives. In other words, there's amazing predictability of how to sell to different generations, how to market to different generations, how to see where the points are in their lives to bring them services. So demographics is one. Second, this will freak most people out, government regulation. Elon Musk, every business he's ever started was funded by regulation. A Matter of fact, I've I've kind of added it up and I think it's uh, somewhere around uh, $4.8 billion he's received thanks to regulation to fund his own businesses. Hey look, you can do that too. Stop complaining about regulation and look for the opportunities. By the way, will we get more regulation on cybersecurity? Yeah. Why? There's some hard trends at play that you can't ignore. There are some other things that are political and we may or may not do. Here's why hard trends is important, Jeffrey, because a big list of things I'm uncertain about don't empower me. Yeah. I'm one of the things that I am certain about and hard trends gives you certainty. And when you have the certainty, you have the confidence to make a bold move. The third category, I said there were three. All right. Is the third one technology and technology can literally redefine reality for example what is ai doing is now we have ai as a service you don't have to own the ai thank god you can be a one person company i mean we're using ai yeah, all the time thousands of employees you're using ai so uh, ai is a service and what's really great is we're about to do what i would call augmented thinking so instead of saying is well ai replace humans That's an either-or way to think. It's AI coming together to augment humans' thinking. Quick example. Right now, uh, Watson and a few other, that's IBM's uh, AI and uh, Google's, they know uh, that technology knows more about oncology than any living oncologist. So if you have someone who has cancer, heaven forbid, I'm going to give you three choices. The AI that knows more than any other human about uh, oncology or the world's best oncologist or a really great oncologist that has access to all of that AI stuff. Well, that's augmented thinking. We're going to be doing augmented thinking for all of us, delivered through all sorts of devices that'll be part of your glasses. Your new, uh, uh, that Apple will be coming out with Samsung next year and uh, where you can see displays and things that, uh, and all kinds of things. So augmented physical as well. For example, 97-pound nurse lifting a 200-pound patient into a bed with an exoskeleton, she can do that. That's augmented movement. So there's augmented movement, augmented thinking. By the way, that's one of 25 that I talk about on that list that you can download if you'd like to get. So technology, demographics, and regulation, three hard trend generators that give you amazing opportunities. C-Suite
0: Radio.
1: So is there a trend that didn't live up to its hype? You know, anything that became bigger than it shouldn't have been? It, be more specific with what that. Yeah. Are you
2: saying anything that didn't happen that should have happened or anything that got bigger than than we thought? You know, either, either
1: or either or. I mean, I mean, there's been some trends that that came about and then people, you know, and then it just went by the wayside. Right. And yeah, it just yeah, yeah. Up to the hype, so people oh, were. Oh yeah, that, that
2: happens. All, it happens all the time. Matter of fact, they talk about COVID being a black swan event, which, by the way, it wasn't. Uh, and I'll I'll tell you why in a second. Well,
1: that's been, it's been around forever, hasn't it? I mean, or, or for a long period of time. Yeah. So it's not like it just popped up overnight. I mean, COVID-19 Wise, there's been 18 before it, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, as I said, I'm an advisor to the Joint Chiefs and so on. And, you know, even this particular one in uh, December, January, satellites could see all of a sudden there was a lot of smoke coming out of major cities because there was a lot more cremation. What going on? We could see what was going on. You could see them lining up the coffins and so on. Back then, that intel was known. So here's my point about black swans. Imagine you're looking at a big, giant lake and way on the distance are some black swans, but by you are all the white swans and you see all the white swans, the black swans swimming towards you, but it's on the other side of the lake. You are not looking at the other side. You're looking at what's close. That's what most of us do. We aren't you looking up and looking out because we think it's fog. We think you can't predict the future, which I've shown over decades. You surely can. You just can't predict all of it, but you can predict enough. To do low risk exponential innovation. As that black swan is heading towards you, eventually it comes into your view. What I want you to do by becoming anticipatory versus just agile, I'd like to talk about that difference in a second. You can see that black swan or anything else as it's swimming towards you and turn it into an advantage, just as we saw with COVID And uh, those of you that were following me in March and April uh, about predictions with where that was going, you can see I was on target. By the way, soft trend, the spread of the virus. That's soft. Why? Well, there's things that we know to do to keep it from spreading. We've known about this for a long time. I, I actually had a friend of mine who shared a picture of our relatives in Thanksgiving in the 1800s all wearing masks. Why?
1: Well, they had another one that happened 100 years ago. This is not
2: a new thing. We know how to deal
1: with it. What's the difference? You you mentioned, I, I'll bite on this, anticipatory versus agile. What's the, what's the two differences?
2: First of all, they're both important. Yeah. Both important. Agility, if you think about sports or anything else, is uh, defense. Anticipatory is offense. The faster you can respond to a disruption, the more agile you are. The faster you can solve a problem that's occurred, the more agile you are. Agility is about reacting to incoming. And the faster you can react, the more agile you are, the better. Anticipatory is offense. That's looking at the famous Wayne Gretzky coach. I skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been or when it flies by me. So you need both. And I, uh, when I was speaking to uh, the top 50 CIOs on the planet Earth, I asked them, raise your hand if you have an agile organization. They all put their hands up and I said, good, glad you're keeping up. And uh, But where are they going to find an advantage? It's in learning how to be another side of the coin. I want to be able to anticipate problems before they happen so I can pre-solve them. I want to anticipate disruptions before they disrupt so that I have the choice to be the disruptor or the disrupted. That's why I'm on a mission to get as many people in C-suite, your network and everywhere else to not just be agile. I want you to do that and get better at it. There's things you can't predict. Good. Better be agile. But there's an amazing amount you can predict and take advantage of with low risk because strategy based on uncertainty has high risk strategy based on certainty as low risk. It's Amazing how much you can be certain
1: about. Well, I like that idea of, of being predictive or proactive versus being reactive. Reactive is still good if you're agile, you know, reactive and not doing anything is worse. But but I love the idea of being predictive uh, in terms of anticipating. And I, I've i always loved the book and I'm glad, so glad you wrote it. But what's a one trait leaders need to have or need to develop to be you know, to have more strategic insight. What, you know, if I'm, if I, my job is to be the most strategic person in the room, that's the job of a C-suite executive, not to be the smartest person, but to really truly be the most strategic person in the room. That's what we get paid the big bucks for. So what would you say I need to be sitting around thinking about all the time that I should be doing? What's that trait? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things is to be a dynamic
2: versus a static planner Because a lot of times what we do is we think, we get our groups together, we brainstorm, we come up with our plan, our strategic plan, and then we go and execute on it. Uh, By the way, BlackBerry had a research in motion, had a great plan, but the world changed. It was static. It needs to be dynamic. So getting good at hard trends and certainty. So here's what I would say for not just the C-suite leader, but for everybody. And that is give your opinion less. Because if you give me your best opinion, what am I going to want? I'm going to want another opinion. But when you learn how to speak in future facts using what I call these hard trends that are undeniable, you can't deny them. They're going to happen anyway. And when you hear them, you know, all of a sudden people have the confidence. They don't need another opinion. They write big checks. So that, uh, that can lead you to getting to where you want to go faster.
1: I always like to ask futurists my last question. How does one become a futurist? What's, the, you know, and then what's the biggest disruption you face in your own career? I mean, you, you don't go to college to say, I'm going to major in future, right? So how does one become a futurist? And then what's the biggest disruption you faced in your career?
2: Well, I actually had a, a major, thank you for that. I had a major uh, surprise. I went to one of those uh, high school reunions that uh, you you'd never thought you'd go to, but I went to one anyway. It'd been a long time. Hadn't been to one before. And I was talking to people I was in high school with and they said, oh, you're always talking about the future. Well, that shocked me. I didn't know I was talking about the future back then. Wow. And so I guess maybe I'm just wired that way. I've always been thinking that way um, because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our life. I'm kind of curious. So but I didn't think about doing it professionally. Uh, until I uh, started seeing, and this is, remember, I've started six companies over the years, about 37 years ago, I started seeing that there were some technologies at play. Digital already existed, believe it or not. The internet was already there, not the web. The internet was there. Universities used it. Lasers were there. Robots existed. I could see we had a tectonic shift taking place and no one was ready for it. So I spent a year doing uh, research globally, coming up with my 20 uh, core technologies that would shape the future. By the way, AI was in there and digital and so on. And then came up with my methodology, started speaking and uh, talking about these hard trends of being anticipatory. Uh, The biggest thing that uh, has uh, surprised me about happening, not happening, is taking advantage of those hard trends. For example, using them to redefine and reinvent healthcare, redefine and reinvent education. By the way, C-suite executives, we've been forced to change last year and the ability now to redefine and reinvent all of these industries, turning the supply chain using AI into the supply brain and doing all of that, it's all right there. There's more opportunity now than ever on the planet Earth.
1: Hey, I tell you what, we can keep going, but I know we want to get to some great questions from some of our C-Suite executives. So, Dan, thanks so much for joining me right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazen and part of our C-Suite Network Digital Discussion Series. For all of our leaders in the C-Suite, I thank you very much.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: I want to turn it over to Greg and Tricia. Greg and Tricia, do you, you get the you get the feeling That when Dan was a kid, his favorite cartoon show was the Jetsons about the future. I got that feeling. That's what I got.
3: It has to be. It has to be. That was fantastic. (laughs) And now I'm going to be thinking about the Jetsons. That was uh, when you think about the Jetsons and the Flintstones and then social integration of the two. I don't know. Did much change. Uh, Another whole topic. So
2: human finance, human dynamics. Actually, were the same. They, they still themed arguments and battles and fights. You know. Yes,
4: Daniel, you're right. They both ripped off the honeymooners. We got some good questions.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, Lisa yeah. Levy has a great question for you, Daniel. She's one of our uh, faculty, one of our leaders in C-suite. She says, "Do you see being agile as foundational uh, capability before a business can be anticipatory, or are they mutually exclusive capabilities?"
2: I really do see, well, that's a great question. Thank you. I really think of it as two sides to a strategic coin. And I think the agile side, uh, that more fast reactive side, we are actually pretty good at and we've been working a long time at getting good at that and we could be better at that. The part that we haven't really had a discipline around until I've started doing this is the anticipatory side. Because it's been thinking, and again, I've met with uh, you know Fortune 10 and 20 CEOs, and almost all of them have the thinking: Well, no one can predict the future, which of course is not true at all. By the way, in 2030 and March, can an astronomer tell you the exact moment that we'll have a full moon? Of course. And the stock market will it go up forever? No, it will go down. And by the way, will it go down forever? No, it'll go back up. In other words. It's amazing how much you can predict. So once we throw out the idea that you can't predict anything, you start realizing you do need this other competency. So I would say you probably already had agile and you've been getting better at it. It's already been there and you've getting a bit better. I want you now to add anticipation.
4: All right. We have another question from Alan Brunton and it's, it says hard trends number three equals technology equals augmented thinking. Can you differentiate between programs subject to think outside of the box compared to technology availing people to think differently due to technology discoveries?
2: All right. I think I get what he's trying to get at there. I mean, if I could hear him ask uh, ask, I'd have him refine that a little further. But here's where I think where he's where he's going to uh, technology just sits there it doesn't do anything it's up to us to creatively apply it and to use it what i want to do is to elevate our use of it to a transformational level so whether regardless of what the technology is um, let's face it change comes from the outside in and we react and respond so when there's a new technology or a disruptive technology we're seeing it as something that we can use to change Uh, how's that going to change me That is where Agile comes in. What I want us to do to answer that question is realize transformation, whether it's personal or business, always comes from the inside out. If it's not coming from the inside out, you ain't transforming. You're just changing. So instead of how will it affect me, I want us to use it as a tool to say, how can I use it to not just change, but transform a process, a product, a service? And I think then you can see where those things can go.
3: Just building on that a little bit, Daniel. Alan uh, owns a technology that allows us to more clearly hear, um, and and it takes out the white noise in in what we're listening. So, when we're listening to to make us more engaged. And when he's talking about those technologies, those augmentations that we can have, it makes me think of Elon Musk and the and how we program the brain and putting chips in the brain and so on. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts about that and how we keep up to that as a society.
2: Well, uh, first of all, I really like what, uh, what he's doing now that I know a little bit more about his technology and, um, you know, there's a way to uh, use uh anti-sense technology and some others that most of us don't know, but I know he knows, uh, to be able to get that white noise eliminated so that we can concentrate and know exactly. As a matter of fact, at some point, you can do that with frequencies so that if there's a crying baby on the plane, I could turn the frequency of the baby down, not hear it cry, but still hear the person talking next to me. Uh, by the way, there's an idea for your technology right now. So, and by the way, that's technically possible. So once again, the, what he's doing, I think is really powerful. It's a matter of, will we be implanting chips in ourselves? And I would say, depends on your age. I think baby boomers might be saying, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. I think by somebody who is maybe 10, 15, 20 years old, they may be saying, hey, I like that idea. So going to, that's where the generations come in and our mindsets come in a little bit as well.
4: Robert Olson wants to know, what are Dan's perspectives on disruption and ongoing changes to education, particularly higher ed, and how the historical models will change in the coming decades given the very high cost plus what we experience and learn in the current COVID remote environment?
2: Yeah, very good. Well. I think what we're being forced to learn now, both at the university level as well as K-12, is that uh, we can do some amazing things when we use remote. And the problem is professors, as well as, by the way, elementary, junior high and high school teachers, were all just given the check and said, you got to do it with no training. So no wonder it hasn't worked out that well. I think when we get back to the classroom, I like blended learning myself. As a matter of fact, my anticipatory leader learning system is blended learning. It's an online learning, but you also get the human part. It's bringing them both together. I think what we're doing more is bringing world-class experts into the classroom remotely so that uh, we can get their expertise. Secondly, a prediction I made back in the 80s saying about now we'd be able to do this, let me share it, we're gonna automate and humanize education for the first time in history. Let me just take a second on that because that's a big one actually, not just for the university level, but lower. Let's take lower for a second. Teaching a kid how to multiply, well that's not fit for a human. Teaching a kid what an adverb is, that's not fit for a human. That should be on an interactive, self-diagnostic, MTV-like, game-like system. Uh, Then what do you do when they know how what an adverb is? The human now can teach the kid how to write something you'd want to read or how to solve a math problem, maybe learn how to balance a budget. So I think there's a way that we can automate and humanize as we go forward and bring world-class leaders into the classroom live as well as we'll see all universities that have fought remote learning to say we need that component. Just like let's talk the meetings world and hotels and having conferences, which you know I've given over 3000 keynote speeches around the world, what's gonna happen with that? Similar to a university and that is it's both and. We've now started to learn you can get a lot of more people attending a virtual event than a physical event. Uh, The the biggest actual live audience I had since March was 1.1 million. There's no conference center that big. So what we're going to do is have real live audiences that are big, like we've had in the past, with speakers, but we'll also have the virtual component where they're paying to be there as well. It's a both and.
4: Right. So does that mean you le- need less space in colleges? Because Michael Webster wants to know what happens with commercial office space. So you're saying we're going to need less space as well for for higher education as well?
2: No, it's not. A, it's not about the space. It's about what you're doing with the space. What are you doing in that space? Are you maximizing all of the things that we have and all of the needs we have, because let's face it, we all need to learn new things. We all need, they talk about reskilling. Hey, a CEO needs to reskill today. Uh, there's an old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Luckily, we aren't dogs. So we can all learn new things. And how do we maximize that using all these new virtual tools and all of this stuff? We need to rethink what we do in the space. Just like, I think the good old days of brick and mortar retail are not behind us, they're ahead of us. They just don't look like what's behind us because we're gonna redefine and reinvent the customer experience and digital, as well as human, is going to help us to do that. Frankly, retail was pretty boring before anyway. Well, we'd wanna go back to that. The university, it wasn't what it could have been. Well, we don't have to go back to that. We can reinvent it. So for you in the office space business, You're not in the office space business, you're in the enhanced education experience business with office space.
3: I love that. And I love the passion that you're bringing to it, Daniel, in terms of where these disruptions become positive as, you know, as you started out the whole conversation, Emily Braun has a great question. She says, I foresee that the COVID, uh, will have people on mass move between countries and continents, um, especially from North America. So would they, they would be doing looking for the the better job opportunities, cost and, uh, and quality of living health, living environments, etc. What is your opinion? on this trend and and where it's going to go
2: yeah and a little sub area that you didn't mention that's big is what's going to happen with cities i mean obviously i'm in san diego right now and people are leaving cities because of covid are they going to come back now that we have technology that allows us to have a global workforce no matter where you are because we have the tools to do that and the technology to do that and uh, the answer is look at demographics I think uh, if you have a lot of kids and you're older, maybe you're going to want to not come back to the city. If you're younger and you'd like to be where the action is, you may come back to the city. Um, actually, right in front of me, because I live uh, right by the water, they're building a new office complex, a huge new office. Complex. And you say, why would they do that? And this is in the San Diego. And the answer is it's for biotech and there's technology and equipment in there that they can't use remotely. So, you see, that's maximizing the space. You're not in the space business. You're in the maximizing what you're doing business. Will we be wearing masks more as we travel? Yeah. Have you ever wondered why Asians wear masks when you're traveling around? And the answer is they've been through not global pandemics, but countrywide pandemics before and know why. Many of us will. Some of us won't. But uh, as a matter of fact, one other little thought on that is uh, we're going to be now I'm going to give you something you haven't thought of yet. But there's how are we going to get people to get vaccines when a lot of people don't want vaccines? And the answer is you get the behaviors you reward. So if you want to go to that baseball game, that football game and attend you're going to have to show your official id that shows you've been vaccinated otherwise you can't get in if you want to go to that concert if you want to get into that bar you want to get into that restaurant you got to show that you've been vaccinated if you want to get in all of a sudden people are going to want to get in so you see you get the behaviors you reward by the way there's opportunities and all of that there's so many opportunities it's a wow
4: so i'm going to mix two questions because Carla Hulse wants to know, how do you reinvent an industry that is wedded to traditional methods and has a strong union workforce who are not willing or capable to change? And along those lines, Kathleen Caldwell wants to know how, as a leader, you can tactically do that.
2: Yeah, very good questions. Uh, by the way, I, uh, I, about a year and a half ago, I had a meeting Uh, With the second largest union, the leader of the second largest union in the in the world, because they're also in the United States with a lot of union. This is the electrical contractors. And uh, uh, so they install anything electric. So there's the leaders, the people that have the businesses and run the businesses that do the installations. And then there's the workers that are union. They've been like this forever. So I got the leaders of both together, was with them for about three hours talking about hard trends and certainties. And when I was finished, they said, well, it's only took us 105 years to work together. And the way I did that was, first of all, I said, I'm not for either side I'm for the side of a profitable future for all of us. And there are some hard trends at play once I taught them how to see certainty and future facts that if you keep doing what you're doing, their union will be less relevant and not be able to grow its membership and the other group would would not have business and people that were qualified to work, et cetera. So what we saw is there's a way to elevate both and work together. So I think what I'm really trying to, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm trying to give you short answers. What we need to do is rally around certainty. So for a traditional business, what's happened? 2020 has done a lot of disruption to every single traditional business. Use that as a spark to get innovation in and to get a company to change, you can't just force them, you want to excite them into change by letting them see the new opportunities that these hard trend future facts represent. Again, go to Burrus, dot com. You don't have to buy anything. There's tons of great stuff in there, things to download, so you can find a whole bunch of certainties.
3: Thank you so much, Daniel. We'll make sure we get that in the chat so we can all be uh, giving back. We, we love to support those that are giving uh, to us. So that's something we can easily do in the C-suite. Um, so we'll get that in. It's in there now. Everybody go to the website for Daniel. Um,
0: C-suite radio.
3: Kiana Trelongo is one of our executive leaders and and you had mentioned about you want to change behavior. You have to have your your, uh, proof of good health to be able to get into a venue. Kiana's uh, specifically interested in what your thoughts are about AI and augmented entertainment and where that's going.
2: Well, again, we live in a technical world, but you know what? We live in a human world. And you know, it's still all about people. By the way, it's all about relationships, and there are positive and negative relationships, and positive relationships are all based on trust. So one thing we need to do in our human world, whether you're a restaurant that wants people coming back in or a hotel that wants people staying, is to elevate trust wherever possible and to understand why they are not in trust. Trust and truth are different things. So if you're going to be sharing information, make sure that you verified it and it's good and you've checked it out uh, when you're when you're doing that. Again, we live in a human world. So when it comes to augmentation, uh, what we're going to do again is augment entertainment. Remember, it's a both and concept versus either or. So how can I maximize the human part of this? Maybe it's Lady Gaga, but use digital to create some amazing experience that is impossible to do in a facility, but maybe it's not if everyone is maybe have some special glasses or we're using some special effects. See what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. It's all about redefining and reinventing the experience. And it is a human world. People are still going to want to play a violin. A robot can play a violin, but you know what? It doesn't have empathy. It doesn't it doesn't
4: stir our souls like uh, a human can when they're playing. Well, Lady Gaga certainly had an out of this world dress today when she sang the star spangled banner at the inauguration. Um, Quick question. Do you have about uh, maybe five or 10 more minutes? Because we got a whole lot of questions. I've been on C-Suite before. This is an important group
2: uh, for for shaping the future. These are leaders. So I actually built in
4: some extra time thinking maybe we'd do that. So I've got it. Let's do it. Thank you for the buffer. Well, Rosalie Bingham, along the lines of what you were just talking about, wants to talk about how we assure that AI will always give suggestions linked to the human heart so that uh, IT will never be able to hurt the human race. I guess she wants to make sure that the the robots in the future don't come back and kill all the humans.
2: Well, actually, that's one of the big reasons why uh, I'm uh, doing a lot of work with uh, the Pentagon and with uh, AI groups uh, around the world is, you know, to try to make sure we're, predicting problems and pre-solving them rather than waiting until the problem erupts and then end up asking Schwarzenegger and you know what happened? you know are we back uh, are we in uh, the Terminator world which by the way, we could be if we weren't careful. So I think what we need to do is um, one of the things we're doing and this is again a big opportunity is doing real-time auditing of our data. You've all heard of big data, but the reality is there's big data which is made up of good data, bad data and obsolete data. And if AI is sucking in good, bad, and obsolete, the result of what AI is going to suggest is not going to be that good. And it's already happened. AI has faltered a lot because like you're bringing in e-patient records. By the way, I'm going to tell you right now, your e-patient record has problems and mistakes in it. you should check it right now and correct them. Because if AI is bringing and sucking in all those e-patient records, which is loaded with a lot of bad stuff and then giving advice, it's not going to be good. So we're going to see the auditing of data, which by the way, is another big opportunity. Uh, and, uh, and once we get that good in, then we have to look at who is doing the programming of the AI and what kind of biases do they have? So there's a whole AI ethics area that is growing huge to make sure that we're building in something that we can trust. All right. And by the way, all that's opportunity. The world can be a better place or not a better place. It's up to us. You know, even though I've been uh, this business, I started 37 years ago. Holy cow. And uh, am I excited about just predicting the future? Actually, no. You know what I'm really excited about getting you to actively shape a better future for yourself, for your family, for your employees, And for everyone else around you. It's about actively shaping versus passively receiving the future. That is what someone says when it's like, "Eh, let's wait and see what's gonna happen. You're a passive receiver. Let's see if that's gonna be disruptive. You're a passive receiver. I'm future ready. Yeah, that's passive. I want you to be future active, shaping the future, creating a better. So are we gonna have a more humane, a more enlightened future? Hope is not a strategy. Roll up your sleeves and make it that way. Influence all those you can influence. And that's where being significant is more important than being successful. Because success is all about you, your awards, your trophies, all the great things you've done. Significance is about what you do for others. And when you elevate your organizational, your personal significance, you'll find yourself being more successful. So I'd like you to focus on elevating significance, not just elevating success. It's a better goal. You'll have a better result.
3: Daniel, you just summarized everything we aspire to every day in the C-suite. And not only did you nutshell that absolutely beautifully, you lived it by offering that you would set up time to stay here longer, because at the end of the day, our mission is about how to have great leaders be armed, you know, inspired, um, educated, motivated, and, uh, and create those monetization opportunities to have great impact with our businesses. And, and I love that roll up our sleeves, you know, get our fingernails dirty as we build, what is that greater future? Just Thank you, thank you very much. On behalf of all of us here, I know we're all feeling that. Um, I do have a couple of questions that are really closely related. Thomas Diebold says, you know, what can we do to help the slow adapters become more agile, more anticipatory? Um, or should we not even think about how we focus on them and just focus on those that will adopt sooner? And and Parish Spies uh, asked, do we have guidelines for that dynamic planning concept?
2: Yeah, we sure do. As a matter of fact, when you do go to Burris.com, I'd love for you to visit uh, my anticipatory leader learning system where I actually address those exact things. So I'm going to give you a quick example that's in that system. And that is I talk about doing a time travel audit, a time travel audit of individuals as well as teams, as well as businesses. Now, here's what I mean by that. You can time travel on the planet right now. You could go along the Amazon and be with people that are living as if it was a thousand years ago. Uh, they got blowguns guns and spears. They are wearing loincloths. You can time travel back a thousand years. You can also go into a company day and maybe be time traveling back a little ways. Um, if you are in the future mentally. All right. And you're talking to somebody who is alive and well with a past mindset and you're talking about all these cool things. They're going to hunker down. They're not going to move forward. What you need to do is to figure out what time zone are they mentally in and jump into their time zone with them. And instead of yanking them into the future, walk them into the future. So those that are slow to adapt to change, they don't have certainty. They think the whole world is uncertain. They have fear. Maybe there's not a place for me. Maybe I'm not smart enough. As a matter of fact, all of our problems can be found by looking in a mirror in the morning. I mean, absolutely. It's all about mindset. So if you can help a person by going into their time zone with them, because maybe they're afraid, maybe they don't think they can, and walk with them into that, you can change that person. Certainty is such a powerful tool. Um, Again, when I talk about hard trends and soft trends, especially hard trends, what I've really done is created a science of certainty. Because when you are uncertain, you don't write big checks. When you're uncertain, you don't make bold moves. When you're uncertain, you can't move forward. But when you are certain, you have confidence and you do
4: move forward. It's about certainty. So uh, I have a Wall Street background. And one of the things they say on Wall Street is that the trend is your friend. And they generally say that right before you lose all your money. So (laughs) how how do you apply a lot of the things that you're saying right now when it comes to uh, trying to see the future uh, for people's personal investments? Because over the past year, one would probably say that they didn't foresee the S&P going up well into double digits. In a year where you had about 7 or 8% unemployment, uh, and you had a uh, coronavirus, and you had a lot of people who weren't able to travel or move. So h- how do you apply your futuristic thinking to investing so these folks uh, don't lose their money? Maybe they can make some money in 2021. Yes. Well, once again, hard trends and soft trends plays off. Some of you, I'm sure, were catching
2: some of my open webinars, open meaning there was no fee. You could just go to them. I started doing those in March. And so we were in the beginning of the pandemic. And in there, I was talking about these are the companies that are going to have trouble with this. And of course, where hotels, restaurants, da, da da Here's the ones that are going to be thriving. And I was talking about camping and I was talking about RVs and bicycles and by the way, there was a list of over a hundred that were gonna grow. And then I talked about technology and I talked about, all right, so who is is enabling e-commerce, which will grow because you're gonna be stuck at home. Remember, this is back in March. And so if you paid attention back then and did a little investing, you would have done really well. Why? Because I left out the parts I could be wrong about. I was using hard trends, those things that you can be right about. By the way, going forward in 2021, is Nextflix going to lose all of its subscribers? Uh no. are um, people uh, is the coronavirus going to be a switch that's on or off? No. It's gonna take a little while for us to get to that next normal. Um, by the way, while you're getting to that, I don't want you waiting around. I want you transforming your how you do what you do, your business processes, how you do how you work as an individual. Uh, so what I once again, what I'm getting at is that. Hard trends give you a way to look at where do you want to invest? So, in other words, is uh, Amazon going to continue? Yeah. Is Microsoft going to continue? Yes. Uh, Elon Musk, is he going broke? No. As a matter of fact, uh, I've had a Tesla now, uh, Model X, for, uh, what, five years now. I've I've only had it serviced once to get a 12-volt battery replaced. You have to do in that time. One service, no gas. Uh, I mean... Is electric vehicles going to be part of our future? Yeah. So where do I want to start looking? Who's developing those? Use hard trends as an investor and you can see opportunity.
4: All right. One more. And I apologize because I'm stealing Trisha's thunder, but I do have one more and then we're going to wrap up. I'm getting that from, from the thing in my ear from headquarters. But my question is, is so that's investing. So what about political trends? Obviously we start a brand new administration today and at, you know, we had a, a shocking end to the last one. so how did the, the last political trend end up and what are your political trends you're looking at going forward?
2: Well, um, when it, of course we have a global group here, we've got a global audience. And, uh, but as we look at the United States, which does have an impact on the globe, um, we have to just ask ourselves some questions. And you know what? I think sometimes a question is the best answer. So I would say, is the United States stronger uh, than the divided States of America? All right, now I'm not giving you the answer. I think you already know the answer. Are uh, are we going to be happy with a uh, with a modern civil war with you and your family or will we be happier without a civil war? I think you already know the answer. Uh, You see, what's happened is we're in I'm not fixing blame here. I'm just talking about reality. And that is and it's been developing for a while. We're no longer in the information age. We're in the disinformation age. Um, now the disinformation, see, see, I would define disinformation as believed misinformation. And I think a way to fix that is for us to do much more personally, take responsibility for yourself now, more for personal fact checking. And if you are a news organization, I'm talking about all news organizations, not just one. If you really want to be serving people and not yourself, if you want to be creating abundance for all instead of abundance just for you. I think it's really about checking your data, checking your information, checking your facts, because in reality, that's how you create significance. And that's how you create abundance for all. So um, we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of repairing to do. And I think if we all do our own personal fact checking, it'll help us grow together. So and never, what I'm saying is, I think united, we're better off than divided. I don't know how we're going to pull it all off other than pulling together and realizing the answer to the question I asked you in the beginning. Are we better off as the United States or the divided states? I think you already know the answer.
4: Well, thanks a lot, Tricia. You want to add anything before I wrap this up?
3: I am blown away. We we are going to be doing uh, incredible conversations this evening. So, Daniel, uh Burris.com. We'll all be uh, heading over to your website. Uh, Certainly would love to host you again. And uh, thank you so much for spending this extra time with us and, and uh, sharing and empowering and exciting us about what the future holds with certainty.
0: You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com.